was um, so it's traditionally Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and everybody was laying the big palm leaves, big palm branches in front of him. And I've been studying a little bit about you know this time, and and we've also been watching the Chosen in our Wednesday night. Bible study, so a lot of the things that I want to talk to you about this morning kind of come from those two things being put together. So I was looking at Lent, I was looking at some of the stuff that other religions do this time of year prior to, <coughs> prior to, excuse me, prior to Jesus' crucifixion. And um, I stumbled onto a story in John, and we're going to work our way up to that and, and read through that story in, uh, in John. And, but I wanted to kind of set the stage for us a, a, a little bit this morning. So I'm going to be talking about before next Sunday. So Brother Kyle's going to talk to us on Easter. <coughs> and I told him I didn't want to steal any of his Easter thunder. I don't know if he's going to have an Easter, particularly a resurrection Easter sermon or not. I don't know his title, but I wanted to go back before that. So what was going on in, our, in, in these conversations that Jesus was having with his disciples? Because as I was reading the story in John, that probably about halfway through the sermon, because there's about half of it is just setting the stage for that conversation that they have. As I was reading that, my first inclination was, man, these apostles, they're just not very smart. They're just not. They don't get it. And then I got to thinking about, I have the perspective and the advantage of being 2,000 years this side of the resurrection. And what seems painfully obvious to me had to have been completely oblivious to them. And we're going to set the stage because I believe that's more fair than my perception that they just didn't get it. They're not very smart. I think they were smart men. I think some of them were brilliant men, as we find out later post-resurrection, as they're leading the church and developing other people to lead the church. They were brilliant men. But at the time, there was a missing link. And obviously, we understand that to be the resurrection. So I want us to go back over 2,000 years. I want us to go past the Roaring Twenties, and I want us to go past the Old West and past the uh, dark ages and past the crucifixion and I want us to arrive in about the setting of the chosen we've been watching. So this time where um, Jesus knows what's ahead of him but nobody else really does. Him and the Father are the only really ones that know and understand what's going to be going on. And so as we start listening to these conversations that he's having with his apostles, there's a lot of tension, there's some anxiety, and there's just plain, we don't understand. You're talking over our head, Jesus. We, we don't know what, you're, what, what you mean by this. So we understand the mindset of the disciples. We've got to go back into the Old Testament. We've got to understand what they knew and what they were thinking. They knew, for instance, that the Messiah was going to rule a kingdom. That had been made clear to them. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah chapter 9. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, if you read that, and you're, you're reading that prior to the crucifixion, 
I challenge you to think he's talking about a spiritual kingdom. You're going to read that in your little kingdom. We're, we know what a kingdom is. We've seen it. We've, we're Israel. We are a kingdom. We've had kings. We know what kings are. And this king's going to come and he's going to rule. It's going to be a government. It's going to, if you're back prior to the, you're going to think a temporal kingdom. I, I challenge you to think that he's talking spiritual here. Not only that, they knew the Messiah was going to do miracles. Again, in Isaiah chapter 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So they knew this Messiah was going to come. He was going to rule over a kingdom. He was going to be the king, and that that was going to be signified by miracles. And so if you've been watching The Chosen with us, you see some of that developing, right? They're going, hey, there's this guy that uh, fixed Mary Magdalene, got all the demons out of her. And hey, there's this guy that we've heard about that turned some water to wine in a wedding. And um, there's this, and then they're questioning John the Baptist, right? And they're going, hey, John, or what do you know about this guy? <clears throat> In fact, John the Baptist was prophesied in Isaiah 40, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. <clears throat> when they come to John the Baptist and they start asking him questions, in John chapter 1, he answers them this way, and he said, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He, conf he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John told him the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of someone shouting in the desert, making a straight road ready for the Lord. So, so people understood all of this prophecy was starting to line up. And we've talked about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and the prophecies that were fulfilled there in the, in the Gospels and, and that the, the math is a gazillion, a huge number of one that it could be anybody but Christ that fulfilled all of these prophecies. They're starting to line up. And the people in that day and time are starting to go, it, it's the time. There's, there's something big about to happen. <clears throat> So we start going through the book of Mark. In Mark uh, 4, chapter 40, he says, And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this then that even the winds and the sea obey him? So they'd been out in a boat and, and it had gotten windy and the sea and Jesus calmed the seas and they're like, Whoa, who, who's this? <laughs> who's this guy that can calm the seas? This... this so, but, but they don't understand. They're not, they're not getting it. But he's calmed the seas. Later on, he walks to them on the water. And, and, and it says they're utterly astounded. Um, they're afraid. It says, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So... They, they just they didn't understand. And, and what it's referencing the loaves here is they didn't realize the power 
that it took to turn those five loaves and two fish into the amount of food it would take to feed 5,000 people. They didn't recognize the strength and the power. They still didn't understand that this was a God that was with them that was doing these things. The phrase hearts were hardened there, um, you know, typically means that they were just, you know, they were bullheaded. And, but that's, right here that, that phrase just means that they were slow to perceive the power that Jesus had. And so as we're leading up to this story in, in John, you, you, see, you see the apostles as normal people that are having just a hard time interfacing with this God that has been put in their midst. And the things that he's telling them and the things that he's doing and the things that they're seeing, they're just not adding up for them that this is, this is something much more than a kingdom here on, on this earth. In Mark 14, the disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in, the des- in this desolate place? Well, if you're God, <laughs> you can do it, right? But it's not sinking in. And, and a few verses later, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said unto them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, you, having, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of pieces did we take up? And they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did we take up? And they said seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Do you not understand? He's like, he's, he's like saying, hey, I'm not just a good cook. There, there's, there's something else going on here. I'm not just a good provider. I took something, I took something that was in a, an impossible task and I did it. Why? Because I'm God. But they're, they're, it's just not making sense to them. It's not, not quite sinking in yet. In Mark chapter 8, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. See, this was the problem. And I think we share the problem, some of these same problems today. We set our minds on things of man and not on things of God. And because of that, our relationships suffer. And we're going to come back to that at the very end. But remember this phrase because it's going to, it's going to be the lesson that we need to learn this morning. So the Mount of Transfiguration, he'd gone up, there'd been the Transfiguration, he's coming down and suddenly look around, there was no longer saw anybody with them, but Jesus only... And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one that they, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this matter to themselves, questioning, what does this rising from the dead <laughs> might mean? Again, we're on the other side of 
the crucifixion and the resurrection. Lazarus might be the only one they had seen brought back from the dead, and so this is a foreign concept to them. In Mark 10, Jesus foretells his death for the third time. He's told them three different scenarios, I'm going to die. And you know what they want to know? Hey, when this kingdom comes in its glory, can I sit on your right hand or your left hand? They're still thinking about a physical kingdom. Still thinking about um, where they're going to, what the role they're going to play in this physical kingdom. For almost three years, he's been leading them, he's been teaching them, and they don't understand. And, you know, one chapter earlier, Jesus had told them, he said, hey, there's going to be some of you here that are, that are alive that aren't going to die until the kingdom comes with power. And so now in, in chapter 10, they're going, yeah, this kingdom, it's coming with power. What's going to be my role? <laughs> what role am I going to play? Can I sit on Jesus' right hand or his left hand? Can I be the right hand guy? Can I be the number one or the number two? They're, they're thinking um, about temporal things. And I challenge you that I think we all would be doing the same thing. I don't think we should be belittling the apostles here. I think they are thinking exactly what they have, their religion has taught them. The religion has moved from spiritual way back when the, the, in, in, uh, in a type that was set up thousands of years ago to very much the what and not the how and the why. We learn that from the Pharisees, right? They're, they're, they're so focused on make sure you do it right, not make sure you, not, 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 not what the heart is. And so they've turned to an outward temporal looking at everything and not an inward heart looking at everything. <clears throat> so I just want us to check our judgment. They've been told this for, for, for centuries. For centuries they've been told these things. And the, the religion has migrated to the physical and the what, not the why. So everything I just said, I actually had on a PowerPoint. And I just want to question, do we, do we fall into the same trap? Sometimes do we come to church and say, man, I sang the songs, I listened to the prayer. Yeah, somebody gave up and talked for a little while. Um, you know, and then I went home, had a good dinner, and went to work on Monday morning. You know, is that, is that are we just checking some religious boxes? Do we get home and forget what the sermon even talked about that day? Or do we go home and study to show ourselves approved? Do we go home and check the sermon to make sure it's right? See, it's not about Yancey or Matt or Jeremy or Michael. It's not about Danny. I know to start, not to start listening to all of our preachers because you know, I leave somebody out. But all of the people that get up and speak to you, it's not about us. It's about the message that is coming from God's Word. And it's about taking that message and using it to change your life. It doesn't matter whether we're good speakers or not. It matters about, now, it helps if we're a little better. <laughs> it helps, but the message is the important thing. It needs to be done in an edifying way. So here's the setting. Um, we're focused on the here and now. We're focused on the physical. We've been with Jesus for three years. He's been taking care of us. He's been uh, teaching us. He's been feeding us. He's been taking care of us. We think there's a literal kingdom coming. We're focused on this Roman opposition, oppression, and getting rid of it. We're focused on hope this won't offend going from the outhouse to the penthouse. We're focused on going from being a beggar to being a ruler. We're focused on where are we going to sit in relation to Jesus Christ in this kingdom. Are we going to be on the right hand or the left hand? 
That's what we're focused on. That's what we're thinking about as, as apostles. All focused on worldly things. And then we enter this... Um, we enter this story in John chapter 16. And if you have your Bibles and you want to turn over to John 16, from this point forward, it's almost a chapter study. We're going to go through the rest of uh, John chapter 16. This is in the ESV version. A little, a little while you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while, and you will, not, you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And so Jesus, he just says something very simple. He says, hey, I'm going I'm to go away for a little while. And that, that gets them all confused. He says, because I'm going to go to the Father. Now, I don't want us to jump time yet, because again, when we read that, we realize exactly what a little while is, right? But let's, let's stay on the other side of the crucifixion and let's stay in the mindset of the apostles. And they're looking at this a little while that Jesus is going to go away and, and, and they don't understand. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They've got three years invested. They've faced the scorn of the religious leaders, everything that they've been going on, and now he's going to leave them for a little while. So if we reflect on, on that, it would look like this for us. Our best friend, our mate, or someone else with whom we extremely closely have just told us they're going to be leaving for a little while. He's going to say, okay, cool, let me know when you get back. No. You're going to say, what's a little while? Because, <laughs> Yancey, when you leave, sometimes you can be gone for an hour, three days, or three weeks. What's a little while? What's that mean? I love you, I've been with you for three years, you've supported me, and you're going to leave for a little while. I want to know what that means. That's what they're asking. What, what does a little while mean? And you're going to be with the Father? What, what does that mean? And I would ask if there are times in our life that um, we might leave Jesus for a little while. What does that look like? And we'll come back to that a little bit at the end. But we've got this relationship with Jesus, and sometimes we leave for a little while, maybe. I don't, I'm not suggesting that our relationships are roller coasters, but I'm, I know my relationship, there's some movement. Now, we all, we all know God doesn't move. It's, okay, when I'm studying and I'm working and I'm in the Word, then I get, I get this real close relationship, and then... For a little while, if I don't study, I don't read, I, you know, I, 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 get, I, feel, I feel myself being pulled away. And earthly things, those temporal things, those things that the apostles were focused on start piling in there and just moving me further and further away sometimes. Going on in verse 19, Jesus knew <coughs> that they wanted to ask him what they wanted to ask him. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourself, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say unto you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but the sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but, she, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer resembles or remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but we'll see you again. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. 
Now, as I read that in, in the moment, I would be going, what? <laughs> what? You're talking about all this suffering, all this pain. I'm, I miss the joy part in there, if I'm honest with myself. Because that's down the road. He says, down the road it's going to get better, but, what, but, but you're, it's about to get ugly. There's going to be, uh, man, this is getting worse. It's not getting better. You're going away for a little while, and now when you go away, there's going to be all this pain and sorrow and lamenting and, and um, like a, 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 a lady giving birth. And I know the ladies can understand that. We've just got to, again, put on our imagination caps. But like a lady giving birth, that's a lot of pain. It's a lot of anguish. So I, I think they're going, this isn't getting better. This is getting worse. The separation that we're talking about is starting to sound painful. There is a glimmer of hope at the end, but can they can they even hear that at this point? Would be my question. In verse 23 it says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. Unto now you have asked nothing in, in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So when he says ask here, there's two significances there. One can be just an inquiry, like asking a question. Another can be um, asking for assistance. And so recognize that both of those are, uh, he's talking about both of those. And He's saying the time is coming when all things are going to be made clear. And that you're going to have a more direct relationship with the Father. That he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to listen to you and He's going to hear you and answer prayers. And finally He says the Father loves them. And then in verse 28 He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world and, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you speak plainly and do, and, and do not use figurative speech. Now we know that all things. Uh, now, now we, <laughs> now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So even when they think they got it, Jesus says, eh, do you? There's coming a time when, you know, you're going to scatter. And I'm going to be alone except for the relationship I have with my Father. <clears throat> Just so they begin to understand, Jesus tells them, you're going to be scattered and forsaken me. The last verse... I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus said life is not always going to be easy. And this is where we can start drawing some lessons. Life is not always going to be easy. But Jesus has conquered death. He has conquered our enemies. He gives us, <clears throat> he's brought aid and strength from above. He's procured for us a friendship with God. An influence from the Spirit. 
and he's, he's revealed heavenly things to us, and he's given us the necessary things we need to overcome our enemies and to overcome the uh, temptations that we, that we face in this world. So application of all of this, as I was thinking about this, I, I put together a little thought here. So as long as we're focusing on temporal things and entertaining sin, our relationship with God is a, is a distant relationship. There's just things we don't understand. The apostles, even though they've been with Christ for three years, they had a very temporal relationship with the things they were looking at, uh, at least until um, the, the day of Pentecost, let's say. All things change that day. The Holy Spirit comes into their life and it's the aha moment and everything that we know today, having had the mystery revealed to us through the apostles, the apostle Paul talks about the mystery that's been revealed to us, having had the mystery revealed to us, a lot of things make sense today. So I can't blame the apostles for where they were. I can't blame them for everything that went into the, the, to the, to their thought process so when we think about this, you know, if we're entertaining idolatry, entertaining greed, entertaining lustful desires or envy or deceit or lying or gossip or any one of a hundred other things that we could put up there, idolatry is a big word, right? Idolatry means if we're putting anything before the Lord. So it's a big word. It covers everything that we think about, a lot of it. Anything we're putting before the Lord, that's going to drive wedges between us and God. God says you can't do that. He says he will not permit you to have idols that, that you place above him. That just won't, that just won't work for him. <coughs> but if we will make space for the Lord, we get a close relationship. Our study, through study, assembly, fellowship, meditation, prayer, fasting, singing, all of the things that, that we need to do um, as Christians to get, to get closer to the Lord. Now, the question is, if we go back to that verse in Mark, right, it said, hey, if you're focused on temporal things, that was the problem that they were having. And so my question for us is, where's our focus? What are we focused on? We focused on the Lord today for an hour or two, maybe some fellowship, maybe another hour this afternoon, um, if we make the Bible study, maybe an hour on Wednesday, or maybe over with the ladies' Bible study, or well, where is our life? Is it how much of it's temporal focused, and how much of it is spiritual focused? How much of it is focused on getting a tighter, closer, better relationship with God? So when I think about this time of year, and I think about what the other religions do, right? They've been in Lent for 50 days or some odd days, depending on where you're at. And they have been focusing on giving something up or adding something in that was important to them in their relationship with the Lord. They'll have big services on Palm Sunday, and they'll have big services on Easter, and they'll focus on the resurrection and what Christ has done for them. And so I just want us to do the same thing. I'm not saying you've got to give up something for 50 days, but I am saying it might be a time of the year, the springtime, things are hatching, plans are getting made, the year is forming for us, that we would focus on what, what it is that we need to do to get a better relationship with the Lord, whatever that is. How do we get tighter and closer with Him? The song that we're going to sing is uh, Prepared to Meet Thy God.
then the question this morning, I guess, is are we prepared? If the Lord were to come back today, do we have a close, tight relationship with Him? Or do we have a distant relationship? That doesn't mean that if you've got a distant relationship and you need to work on it, as Brother Danny tells us a lot, that doesn't mean you've got to come to the front. And, and it, that's a, That is a solution. But I just call you to check your heart, to look inside and to say, hey, what do I need to do to change? What do I need to do to get a closer relationship with the Lord? What do I need to do to get all of my thoughts and focuses off of this temporal stuff that's going on in this world? Because it doesn't matter. If the Lord comes back in an hour, I've said this a million times, it doesn't matter how much money's in our 401k. It doesn't matter how good a job we've got. It doesn't matter where we're going on vacation in a couple of months. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters except the relationship that we have with our Lord. That's all that's going to matter when He comes back. That's all that's going to matter when your number is called and... Um, you pass away. And we don't know when that's going to happen to any of us. The Lord may come back or we may leave this life. Those are going to be the things that mark are we prepared to meet that God as we stand and sing.